0: Well, I found the picture that I originally was wanting to have used, and I decided to use it this month and to highlight what I was talking about. I superimposed the heart on it. But you can see with the shape of the doors and the vegetation that there's kind of a heart image there. And Jesus is knocking on the door, and the door doesn't have a handle. He's knocking on the door of our hearts, and we have to let him in. So uh, I decided to use that because we're going to do a sermon series on the Gospel of John, beginning a new sermon series, excuse me. And the the series is simply going to be titled, That You May Know. Well, know what? That you may know that Jesus is the Christ. Um... We're going to work our way through the Gospel of John, and uh, that's going to take some time. And uh, someone might ask, well, why John? And to, to answer, I would probably say, why not? Uh, John was more than likely, pretty assuredly, the last Gospel written, and one of the last books of the New Testament that was written. Uh, and even with that being the case, unless you accept a letter that Clement wrote to the Christians at Corinth, uh, because it was really a letter, not a commentary, the Gospel of John had the first commentary written about it by origin uh, as early as 218 AD. And uh, not only that, but... Augustine, St. Augustine, famous 4th century church father, he contributed no fewer than 124 different tractates on the Gospel of John. John was considered to be an important document of the early church. And uh, so I want to begin just by reading not all of the Prologue. The prologue actually goes down to verse 18. But I want to focus next Sunday on the witness that we'll hear a little bit about and then it'll come back to it. But I want to focus on the first 14 verses of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. May God add his blessing to our reading of his word. Preacher, teacher, Greek scholar by the name of A.T. Robertson spoke of the Gospel of John as the profoundest book in the world. Now that's interesting because the Gospel of John is used for teaching elementary Greek because the Greek of it is just very simple and laid out it's not complicated like paul's writings certainly and some of the other writings in fact an author that my son eric speaks of often and has put me onto a guy by the name of john bear in a book called john the theologian in his paschal gospel a prologue to theology He speaks of the importance of the Gospel of John in terms of how we know it in terms of our basic beliefs. He says, Christian theology is inconceivable without the Gospel of John, and especially its prologue. Within a century or so after its composition, it was described as the spiritual gospel, and in the following centuries, its author was referred to simply as the theologian. Now, if you read along, or listen closely as I read our text for today, I think you heard one of the most beautiful passages ever written. In fact, it's so beautiful that a lot of people have thought that it was possibly a poem that John incorporated. D.A. Carson speaks of it as a foyer to the rest of the gospel, simultaneously drawing the reader in and introducing the major themes. But You should have also noticed what sets John off from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What many refer to as the Synoptic Gospels. As important as Christmas is to our Christian calendar, our Christian liturgical calendar, John, along with the Gospel of Mark, does not begin with the birth accounts. Instead John goes back to the very beginning. Mark starts with the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. John goes back to the very beginning. In fact, those first three words in the beginning the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the LXX as some refer to it, begins the same way as the Gospel of John. In N-R-K, in the beginning. John, In N-R-K, in the beginning. A writer named McLaren has captured some of the difference, though, and I love this, and so I wanted to share it for you. It's a little bit longer quote. The other Gospels begin with Bethlehem. John begins with the bosom of the Father. Luke dates his narrative by Roman emperors and Jewish high priests. John dates his in the beginning. Matthew and Luke take us to the cradle in the manger. Mark to the prophecies of old. But John takes us back into the mists of eternity. Another reason. I not only chose the book of John, but also why John is one of my favorite books of the Bible. has to do with the fact of his major theme. The major theme of the book is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the, the Son of God. And that if you would commit yourself to him, not just believe in your head intellectually, you will never find that in John's Gospels. I will argue that to the day they put me in my casket or wherever. John 3.16 is not a belief-only verse. The word used there is pistes, which has to do with trust and Loyalty. But the, con- the, the constant theme of John is that we have to commit ourselves to him. And when we do that, he will give us eternal life. Now, you might immediately think of one of the best known verses of the Bible. You can't watch a sporting event without seeing it. 3.16 John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will not perish should not perish but have eternal life. But the question that comes up over and over again in John's gospel is exactly who is Jesus? You see from Andrew's statement to his brother we have found the Messiah which means the Christ. Or the woman at the well who said to the villagers, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Or even Martha's statement at the death of her brother Lazarus. John records in chapter 11 verse 27 that she said to Jesus, Yes Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. John is so emphatic about this theme that it's even spelled out in what I call his key verse. My English Standard Version, in fact, has a paragraph heading that says the purpose of this book. And John begins, chapter 20, verse 30, by admitting, now Jesus... Did many other things, signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. These are written. This gospel is written so that its readers are able to believe but believe what? believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing we are able to have life in His name that's that's pretty significant I would say pretty important and so as we begin digging into this text I want us to go back though to the mindset of those people there in the first century as this wandering rabbi is moving around and making some pretty profound statements. Uh, the, The movie drove it home again last night It's it's truly a key thought. In fact, it's found in two different places. It's a dilemma. A dilemma that was introduced by the temple being a permanent dwelling. And so Solomon is getting ready to dedicate the temple. And his question is, will God indeed dwell on earth? I mean, I think Solomon's question is legitimate. Why would they think God would dwell on earth when they believed that it was almost impossible for the heavens to be sufficient? How in the world would the temple that they're building be able to contain God? And that was a part of the belief that that God would be there in the Holy of Holies. His presence would be there. And yet there are passages in the Old Testament where God said, I will have one foot on earth and one foot in the heavens. God's glory had dwelt in the tabernacle, that tent, as they traveled out of, uh, of Egypt in the Exodus. And in the temple, 1 Kings 8 but with the exile with the Babylonian exile the glory had departed from disobedient Israel you can read about that in Ezekiel yet what do we believe about who Jesus is as confirmed by our reading of the prologue just those 14 verses of of John's gospel If not, that Jesus was in fact God who had pitched his tent, tabernacled. That's what that word means. Pitched his tent among us. There are three things that I want to emphasize this morning from this text, though it easily could be several more. And the first comes right at the beginning. We need to try to come to understand what John meant when he said that Jesus is God's Word. Much as our minds reveal to others our hearts and our minds, I mean our words, much as our words reveal that to others, so Jesus Christ, we're told, is God's Word to reveal His heart and His mind to us. In fact, we'll hear Jesus later as we continue through the Gospel of John. We'll hear him say in John 14, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. In our text for today, John uses a special category. Jesus Christ is the word of God, the Greek term is the logos, and that word had a wide usage in the first century world, touching on a range of cultural and philosophical contexts. It's using, and and in using it, John actually would have struck some chords up, and people would have started saying, oh, maybe this is what he's referring to. Uh... Their minds would have started thinking in all kinds of directions. And that's why I think John is quick to let us know that the primary point of reference is almost certainly the Old Testament and the Jewish religion. As we'll recognize it again and again, John is going to assume that you and I know the Old Testament. Unfortunately, in many cases, his assumption isn't correct. And I think that that is evidenced right by his opening phrase. In the beginning. And then, listen for it, watch for it. He goes through six days. John does I know Genesis goes through six days too doesn't it before Sabbath John goes through six days I I think the illusion is very likely that he is pointing back to God's creative activity because that's how and I've shared this with you in other occasions that's how Jewish readers identified texts and passages they didn't have book names and chapter numbers and verse numbers so, when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Every one of those pious Jews sitting around him would have said, Oh, Psalm 22. And they'd have been drawn back to the context of the one who felt forsaken, but who in the end of Psalm 22 praises God because of the glorious victory. On the cross, Jesus is saying, go back and read Psalm 22. Everything's going to come out okay. It was a psalm of comfort, a lament. But the Word of God, usually the Word of God was a shorthand for Jewish readers. Because they couldn't say Yahweh. That was the ineffable, the unspeakable name. So whenever it would come up in a reading in the synagogue, even in the Septuagint, whenever the word would come up, they would change it and say the word of God, the Lagos. And most of the time, The word doesn't begin or appear as a noun. It appears as something that is active. His acts of creation. You see, the first thing we see, John, wanting to make sure we know is that Jesus is the eternal word. He existed at the beginning. Not because he had a beginning as a creature, but because he is eternal. He's God, and he was God. He was with God. In fact, John, Jesus will say in chapter 8 of John, before Abraham was, I am. And the phrase he used, ego, I, me is the phrase that was always attributed to what God said on Mount Sinai when he told Moses, this is who I am. Jesus Christ also is the creative word. Verse 3. You know, God created the worlds through his word. God said, let there be in fact the psalmist Psalm 33 writes for he spake and it was done he commanded and it stood fast and what we see here is John's prologue is that God is creating all things through Jesus Christ Paul picked up on that go read Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 it means that Jesus wasn't a created being He is, in fact, the eternal God. Now, I don't understand that. I went back this week and and studied, because I I had to, I'm taking a class, but I went back this week and studied the struggles that the the early church fathers had that brought them together for what's called the Nicene Council. Struggling with the issue of, of how can... How can there be one God, but yet we speak of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? By the way, the verb was made, that's in the perfect tense. Meaning it was a completed act. Creation from nothing is finished. Yeah, there's a process of change going on in the world we're in. And God is certainly at work in his creation. We'll see that again in John 5 verse 17. But creation itself is not a process. It's a finished product. Thirdly, I think we're told that Jesus Christ is the incarnate word. Oh, what's that mean? Well, incarnate simply means in the flesh. He wasn't a phantom, he wasn't a spirit, he was, wasn't a ghost. That's what a group called the docetic Gnostics of that day believed. That he, he was God and that's why he only appeared to be a man. No, John is convinced that his body was not a mere illusion. The do- disciples had personally experienced and they were convinced of the reality Go read the letter that John wrote. 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Even though John's emphasis is on the deity of Christ, he makes it clear that the Son of God came in the flesh and was subject to the sinless infirmities of human nature. And in this gospel that we're going to be looking at, John will point out that Jesus was weary Chapter 4, verse 6. He was thirsty. Verse 7. That he groaned within. Chapter 11, verse 33. That he openly wept. Chapter 11, verse 35. That on the cross, he thirsted. He died. He bled. And after his resurrection, he offered proof to Thomas and the other disciples that he still had a real body here Thomas put your, put your hand in my side touch and, and you know we give we, we really do Thomas a disservice Thomas it doesn't tell us Thomas went over and touched said, oh ok I'm glad you gave me this opportunity it says he fell to his knees and he said my Lord and my God. That is a greater confession than I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a personal, emphatic confession. My Lord, my God. Yes? He was flesh. And how was the Word made flesh? Well, by the, the miracle of the virgin birth. And, and that's foretold in Isaiah 7. But you can read about it in Matthew and Luke. He took on himself sinless human nature and identified with us in every aspect of life from birth to death. The Word was not an abstract concept of philosophy but a real person who could be seen, touched, and heard. See, it's about Christ as God. I think the second thing John wants us to make sure we know is that in Jesus was life. Life is a key theme in John's Gospel. In fact, it's used 36 times. Now, have have you ever stopped to consider what are the essentials for human life? Well, there's at least four. Light, because if the sun went out, within uh, less than 10 minutes, all of us would instantly freeze to death. Life would be over. Light, light, But also, air, water, food. John's going to tell us that Jesus is all of those. He is the light of life and the light of the world. John 8 verse 12. He is the son of righteousness with the U, not the O. Malachi 4.2 by his Holy Spirit he gives us the breath of life, air John 3.8 and 20, 22, as well as the water of life, John 4.10, 13-14 chapter 7 verses 37 and 39 and finally Jesus is the living bread of life that came down from heaven John 6 Remember the song? I, I finally got my brain off this little item of mine. <laughs> Remember the song we'd sing? He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. All four. So from John's perspective, Jesus is the true light. The original of which every other light is a copy. But the Jews were content with copies. They had Moses and the law, the temple, and the sacrifices. But they didn't comprehend that these lights pointed to the true light who was the fulfillment, the completion of everything that they had grown to believe. As you study John's gospel in the weeks and months ahead, I believe that you'll find Jesus teaching the people that he is the fulfillment of all that was typified in the law. It was not enough to be born a Jew. They had to be born again. Born from above. He deliberately performed two miracles on the Sabbath to teach them that he had a new rest to give them. I, I love that scene where uh, there's a man blind from birth and he looks over and sees him. And they said, But uh, Rabbi, it's the Sabbath. And he gives that little smile and he said, I know. Two different healings, miracles on the Sabbath. He was was the satisfying manna. He was the life-giving water. He's the shepherd of the new flock. He is the new vine. All of those are things that John is going to emphasize to us so that we can understand that Jesus is the true life. But the people were so shackled by their religious tradition that they couldn't understand the spiritual truth. And John will tell us, he came to his own world that he had created, but his own people, Israel, could not understand him and would not receive him. And so as we read and study and apply the teachings of John's gospel, my prayer is that you'll try hard to slow down your reading. Compare what John emphasizes in those stories that do appear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Look for the differences. See what it is that that he is emphasizing versus what they emphasized. Because John is very clear in terms of his intent. Which brings me to my challenge. And the challenge is simply the call to accept, accept the call that he gives. And the call is to believe and I already shared with you pastuo it's a word that doesn't mean what you have in your head. Not used that way in the first century. It's a word that had to do with loyalty and trust and commitment. And you can't do those things in your head. They have to be demonstrated in your life. Remember what James says? You show me your faith apart from your works. And I'll show you by my works my faith. To demonstrate that we are faithful and loyal and committed to the fact that Jesus is the anointed one. We don't understand that word. That word was a word used of somebody who was about to assume the throne as a king. What happened at Calvary was Jesus was enthroned. He became the king, and that's why at his resurrection and his ascension, he could say, All power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The Son of God, not a Son of God. There are current contemporary religions who send a lot of people out to talk to you, to beat on your door, looking really nice in the summer riding bicycles, who believe that Jesus was a son of God, but not the son of God. John wants us to know that he was the son of God so that by believing that information, you can have life. Now, don't hear John saying so that you can have life in heaven after you die. No, that's not the emphasis of John. The emphasis of John is not believing so we can die and go to heaven. The emphasis of John is believing so that we can have abundant life here and now. And that's my challenge. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. Repent. Because we have failed in so many ways even though we have in many ways read the words of this book in many ways we haven't slowed down to really think about what it means we have listened to and believed a lot of false prophets forgive us we have heard people say well the spirit told me but we didn't test it as your word tells us to do we weren't those faithful Christians like those of Berea who heard the message and went back and studied the word. And so we were led off track. Maybe just a 1 degree of separation. That has led us to some really strange locations. Help us as we study this book to get our minds back on track in terms of who your son Jesus really is we pray this in his name amen our Him.